When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Welcome to Black and Gay Back in the Day. We're bringing to life the archive of images of black LGBTQ plus life in Britain from the 1970s to the early noughties. I'm Mark Thompson. I'm an activist and health promotion specialist. And I built this archive with the journalist and writer, Jason Okendaya. In this episode, we are looking at a photograph that opens up conversations around public image and sexuality. The photograph is of a black and white newspaper clipping from Gay Times with the writing Hot Spots at Mr Gay Britain, page 53 to 57. The image itself is of a man wearing nothing but a white jockstrap. He is muscular and his body is turning slightly to the right whilst his face is turning to the left. He has a gentle smile and his eyes look to the left. Behind him is a crowd of people, an audience, hanging on a rail and looking on at him with awe and admiration. We know this man to be Roy Brown, winner of Mr Gay Britain, hosted at the Hippodrome in August 1986. Representation of black folks and of queer people in the public eye is something that has a rocky history. And that's before we even get into the intersection of black queer people. Someone who has been working to change that is model and asexuality activist Yasmin Benoit. So I'm looking at an image from Black and Gay back in the day of Roy Anthony, the winner of Mr. Gay Britain, hosted at the Hippodrome, August 1986. That was directly 10 years before I was born. I feel like I've seen the Hippodrome before. I feel like that still exists somewhere. I didn't realize it was a venue for what I'm assuming is pageants or maybe it's weightlifting or something. I know he looks pretty ripped. But it's I didn't even know that there was a Mr. Gay Britain. It's very cool to must be cool to have these kind of things like documented from your youth. Cuz it'd be a very hard thing to explain to people. It is it is very much giving like exhibition, especially since everyone else is like fully clothed. It's like a bunch of white people that are very fully clothed, almost smartly clothed. And then just one black person that's just standing there like almost naked and they're just all like staring. So it's an interesting optics in it, but then, you know, gay scenes still aren't that diverse. So it's not entirely surprising that they weren't that diverse in 1986. There another photo oh I thought that was Sunita for a second but then I thought that timeline wouldn't make sense I feel like she'd be too or would she no she would be too young I don't know 
Oh, wait, hold on. It says that so Matra sings. Is that actually Sunita? No way. That's crazy. I thought she was too young. I thought she was too young to have. No, that made up to Yasa 80s. So, yeah, that actually makes sense. That's crazy. And it does look like this whole section is specifically about gay culture at that time. Like, was this the old school version of Gay Times or Attitude Magazine or something? I'm Yasin Benoit, and I'm a model and asexual activist. Okay, let's Google and see what else comes up for Mr. Gay Britain. Mr. Gay Britain, 1986. Even just Mr. Gay Britain in general, like I didn't even know that was a... There's a Wikipedia page for it. I assume it was just the same thing, Mr. Gay UK. This is a beauty contest for gay men. Regional heats held at gay nightclubs of a grand finale at a gay venue. I didn't even realize the Hippodrome was a gay venue. Okay. <laughs> I was the first winner of the contest. No, wait, that can't be the same thing because there was obviously winners before that. Okay. I think this is a different thing. Okay, I mean, I don't know if these are gay Britons or gay UK, whether these are the same or different, but it's very much giving what you would expect it to give, which is shirtless white guys and like little pants. 80s, although there's one from Gay Times, Gay Times 95, so that's issue 95 from, oh, 1986. I'm wondering if this is the same Gay Times as the magazine. I assume based on the name that it is, but I didn't realize it had been going on for that long. Their style of covers are a lot different nowadays. But yeah, it says Mr. Gay Britain in there. And I can see there's some pictures from the event. And okay, so these older pictures of the event and the newer pictures that I was seeing, very much the same energy it is. With the exception of the winner, Roy Anthony, it is entirely white guys in Speedos. So I'm about to meet Roy, and I'm really interested to learn about what his experience was like back then, like not just as the first black winner of Mr. Gay Britain, but what it was like in that scene at the time, like how inclusive it was in that scene. And it'd also just be interesting for me to hear like what it was like being black and gay back then, because I haven't really met many black queer people over the age of 35. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. It's weird because usually when I meet people, I haven't already seen them in Speedos. But in your case, I have already <laughs> seen you in Speedos, but from like 10 years before I was born. So Probably even before that. <laughs> <laughs> We're looking at the picture from the Hippodrome, which was yes. another thing. I was like, I feel like I've seen the Hippodrome before, but I did not realize that it was a gay venue. At the time, it was solely just a Hippodrome. And that's it was and it was this mecca club for the new romantics etc etc so it was ah. good it was, it was quite and also they used to do um circus acts there so the stage you'd sort of open and come up and then go down and then go up halfway and then separate 
And they used to have elephants and tigers and lions and things wow. in cages coming out. It was a spectacle. And on that night, we were the animals because <laughs> we came up from beneath. From beneath. And on, did they like raise you up yeah, on like a? We had to go down the lower ground and we had to rehearse the day before, so no one would get sort of like stepping on the wrong section just in case something would go. You miss a toe. Oh my god! And it turns into like a final destination situation. No, totally, totally, or maze, maze, <laughs> maze runner. Oh my god! <laughs> I didn't really know what it was. What I lit myself in for, to be honest, because the heats were way before, months before. And it was just by chance I was at the London Apprentice, which is Old Street, which is a venue called 333. Mm-hmm. And I went with my friends, two friends, and it was Gary and um, Chris Ruffle. Gary Victor, Chris Ruffle. Sadly, both no longer here. That's another thing. And um, I'm getting really emotional. <clears throat> and it was because of them... And I was like, oh, I'm not going to do this. It's got to be crazy. And one of my flatmates, I think it was Gary, went upstairs, gave my address, number and everything, phone number, to the organisers and said, he'll be whatever number he wants to be. He's just downstairs. He's going to do it without me knowing. So I'm standing in the audience and they're going, we're going to call out the contestants to come up on stage and then do that. I'm going to take them backstage and so it can change into underwear which we've provided by expectations or so on. I thought, what's this? And they called my name out and I looked at my friends. They were like, well, you've got to lose. You've got, you haven't got a pot to piss in. Do it. <laughs> was there, I think I read that there was a prize, right? £5,000 in all. That's pretty good. And I feel like for the 80s and that would be even better than it is now. That was a lot of money. It's a lot of money now. But I mean, even then, it was an awful lot of money. And I remember it was two weeks for two people in Ibiza. And oh. the, and I've never been to Ibiza before. So that was awesome. Another trip. And another story. Another <laughs> friend. <laughs> I bet you have a lot of stories. <laughs> Quite a few. Yes, Quite a few. <laughs> So I guess, I mean, I guess they kind of just base who wins based on, I guess, whether they like your answers and whether they like how you look. Is that kind of like the gist? Well, I think the gist, from my perception on being in the gay community, is all about aesthetics. <laughs> so initially, that's what I thought. And my aesthetic was always white and blonde, blue-eyed. <laughs> that's what I was brought up on. And that's not just on the LGBTQ plus landscape. It's the media, mm-hmm. period. But I never didn't think I can be part of and move forward. But competitions like that, there was never anyone of colour that won anything like this from my personal perception being on the scene prior to entering this heat. So I just stood up there and just thought, I'm going to have fun. There must have been even more of a surprise when it came to the finale... And then when you won. Yeah, actually, the weird thing, I always remember this, Yasmin, I stood on stage and they whittled it down, the final five were on stage, and I think it was 30 guys in, in, in total. And I stood on stage, and I remember the, the guys that was either side of me, and weirdly, I was in the middle, weirdly. And there was a blonde guy and a sandy blonde guy and two dark-haired guys, Mousy Brown or maybe Jet black hair, and they were the aesthetics, the typical aesthetics that was perpetuated on the LGBTQ scene of what 
is gay man. Mm-hmm. Period. So I was the only black guy, and the other guys were white. So it literally, when they called the name, and I literally turned to the guy and went, Congratulations. And it was to the blonde guy. Did with, his name sound like your name? <laughs> I can point to the guy that in the picture that I, he's, his name's there. And, she, and I turned around to him and went, Oh, congratulations. He went, No. And I went, What? And he goes, You won. And it's literally, it felt like slow motion as I turned around, looked into the audience, there was a packed crowd, and went, the voice in my head went, oh, shit. <laughs> because I hadn't come out to my parents. Oh. <laughs> and I went in this huge competition. So that's what was rotating in my head. I've got to tell my mum and dad. I've got to tell my mum and dad. Because this is going to go out. Because the news of the world's there. The Daily Mirror's there. The Sun's there. All the other press there taking pictures because of Peter Stringfellows and because of the event. I saw some pictures from the Black and Gay Back in the Day Instagram account that I totally wanted to ask you about. Um, Yes, but I've got something better than that, actually, because I brought all the archive stuff. Let me show you the first cover of Capital Gay because my first cover I had to share on Capital Gay with me as the best in Britain, uh, Mr. Anthony Brown. What I remember when I looked at the front cover and saw myself, because I didn't realise I hit the cover of it, and then I saw it and I thought, why am I sharing this with everybody else? Why isn't it just a big picture of me on the cover? I mean, I actually I won this competition do you feel like you would have got the full page if you were white? Did they usually get the full page? Or do you think was there like a difference in the way it was reported or covered or responded to? I would probably think that is poss- possibly the case. Yeah. Without pointing out the obvious. Yeah. When it comes to aesthetics and the, the landscape and the establishment and how that's been laid out and the media presentation and what sells what is being depicted as i'm doing folks air quotes my fingers right now as what sells and what doesn't sell i would say that if that was the guy that i thought was going to win it blonde and blue eyed it would have been a full page did you feel like that was a step towards being more inclusive or did you feel like it was sort of like a tokenistic thing because no one else won after you that was black. Yeah, I don't know, because because it was the first one, I didn't see myself as, as a token, because I wasn't the only person of colour on the stage. But it didn't feel like that. It didn't come across as that, because they had all the heats all around the country and outside. So whoever entered those competitions, hopefully you would have thought someone of colour would have entered those heats and would have come first or second. But... Apparently, literally no one did in the whole country, I guess, aside from you. I know, bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. And so it doesn't... You might think it could have been tokenism, but at the time, they had no reason for for it to be tokenism because it was the first one. And I'm, hopefully it's a start of something that's going to perpetuate something positive. Do you feel like it did perpetuate something positive? It did for me and the situation of meeting people and everything else, but I don't think it did it for the actual competition itself because um, there, no, there was no knock-on effect with anyone else winning it of colour since 1986, the first Mr Gay Great Britain. All the other eats after that with Mr Gay UK, no one of colour had won it, but people of colour entered it. 
and there was no representation of anyone in the latter days or even in the noughties who were trans. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Did you ever feel like there was any element of hypersexualization or fetishization back then, like within the scene or within the community? Or, and did you feel that? I guess well, at the time you're probably you said you're more worried about the fact that you just won and would have to come out to your parents before the newspaper ended up on their doorstep. But was that something like that you like felt at the time, or like not really? I I didn't that didn't enter my head to be honest because I what I actually thought is that I wasn't going to win this and I'm just going to go through the motions and just enter it. All my friends were there in the audience and I just thought, yeah, this is fun. And how old were you at the time? Did you say you were 20? 22. 22? 22, yeah. Do you feel like the climate that we're in now is, because, I mean, from my observation, it sort of feels we're kind of taking some step backwards in the way things are now, like old rhetorics are kind of coming back up. Do you kind of see no. that as someone that kind of lived through it the first time, or do you think it's not really heading that way? Um, I think there are, because of the rhetorics, the old rhetorics and the um, establishments and everything, they know how to manipulate and to dissect and divide through the media everything. And that's always happened. That's never going to go away because the landscape is dealt and sort of controlled by those fractions. So if, as long as we acknowledge and see that for what it is, we have to navigate through like chest. Every now and then it's going to be check before checkmate. And as long as it's not going too far backwards and we'll always make three steps forwards and probably like four steps back, but at least we're still moving forward. For me, I kind of quickly found that, um, I guess the way your image is like interpreted is kind of beyond your control. I kind of learned that quite early on, what I thought I was communicating and what other people <laughs> got from it were two very different things. And I quickly noticed that on the basis of me being black, yeah. regardless of what I was doing, regardless of what I was wearing, there was always a sort of aggressively sexual undertone to every reaction yeah. that I got regardless, yeah. at least in response to things that I've done in the media. And I can see white people that do the exact same thing and they don't get the same reaction as I do. Did you kind of feel that at all in your work or? I think in um, a lot of it, yes, there's always a hypersexual fantasy realization coming from the other side of the fence perpetuated onto me. But I also know that and I see it how I utilize that and do what I need to do while that is happening is the other narrative. 
That's what you got to do. You can't really sort of get annoyed by it unless it's in a situation that's a negative situation. But if it's people just seeing, they don't know any better, and they're, they're giving you that hyper attention, it's like, oh my God, I love you because it's this and that. And I guess it's revered from their lack of understanding what they're actually doing because of the landscape, how it's built up and how people are rep being represented and how people are being um, presented through the media. That's who they are, like women, et cetera, et cetera. And how people respond to that because it's that's the building blocks of the landscape. But you have to recognise it and then navigate yourself through it, around it, over it or under it, or stand there and perpetuate what you can get from it in a positive way for you um i mean it always kind of takes me by surprise like i don't really know how you're supposed to react by someone saying that you have hypersexual eyes it's like I, so should i just like not look like when I'm, i used to use my eyes it's like and it's always i mean because i'm asexual it, it's as a criticism and it's as a way to kind of debunk my sexuality because they're like well you're you i i see you as being hypersexual therefore that can't be your sexual orientation therefore you're provoking me by existing and that's like well i don't know like what am i supposed to? i'm just sitting here there's nothing i can really do about that what, and, so what's your reaction to when someone says that? I mean, it happens so often now. I'm always just kind of like, I don't, it, it's just like the list of things versus it's kind of like, oh, well, then you shouldn't wear skinny jeans. Oh, well, then you shouldn't wear crop tops. And then, you know, you cover that up and then it's like, oh, mm. but your mouth. And it's like, so what do I do with my mouth? It's like, oh, but the way you talk. Well, I can't change how I talk. I can't change my face. I can't change my mannerisms. And then it's just kind of like, I think the issue is not actually my appearance. I think you just can't compute what my sexuality is of my race and you're just confused or you're just mm. going to try and find anything you can yeah. to debunk it. And then it's like, I don't know how what to say. I don't know how to argue with that. Because it's really, they don't know how to navigate themselves in conversation and what to say to you. That's what basically it is. And it's really not your problem or your fault at all because straight men have been giving women a hard ride for centuries when it comes to what they wear and if they don't have control like back in the victorian days of not showing your ankle wearing boussiers and restricting every part of a woman's body as much as possible but still controlled by the, um, the male population for that I think a good chunk of it is men, but I think increasingly nowadays, probably just because of, like, the climate we're in, like, a good chunk of that stuff also comes from women. Sometimes it's from queer women, and it's very strange that these kind of, like, ideas, which wouldn't have originally come from them, are now, and it's usually white women, and then it's kind of, like, regurgitated and then perpetuated by those groups as well, and... I feel like it's such a, I, I feel like it's a sign of the times, but it's probably, it's not a new phenomenon. No, it's really not a new phenomenon. It's just um, being packaged a different way. It makes sense. There was an origin for all these things. Thank you for imparting all of your wisdom. <laughs> in this podcast has been very interesting for me and a great learning experience. Of What would be your advice that you would give either to like your younger self or to just like any young black queer person now to just be yourself and to remember that even if you 
disagree with your community, try and fix it. Try and be a part of it and try and stay with it and try and make it better and not just step away from it and go, exactly, that's what I thought. That's what the outside's fractions want us to do. Don't do it. Stay together. Yasmin, I'm really glad that you're here. Tell me, how was your meeting with Roy Brown? It was really cool. He's actually the first black gay person that I've met that's over the age of like 35. Like I've never met any like black British gay person over that age before in my life. Where have you been hiding? (laughs) (laughs) Reading. What was it like to meet Roy? It was just, yeah, it was just really cool to kind of like learn like what his experience is and it's sort of like it's not like a distant time it's like the 80s and stuff mm. that we're talking about and I've, I've like seen parts of it like you've, I've seen shows like It's a Sin and stuff and there are some things that are like set then but not really from like the a black perspective of what it was like then and also someone that kind of ended up a similar industry to me in the sense of that he did like modeling and that kind of thing so it was really interesting to like learn about what things were like I mean, Roy's quite a unique and really special character, isn't he? I mean, he's full of life and full of energy. And to be a kind of a big, dark-skinned man who was also a successful model, was there anything that kind of struck you about Roy's journey as that person and existing in that space? Yeah, I think in some aspects it was sort of reminiscent of my own. Like, he sort of accidentally came out in the newspaper through the pageant and I kind of accidentally came out in the newspaper <laughs> through my modeling. Like, you didn't really realize that it was going to end up in there. And then I was like, I'm going to have to have some conversations very quickly now. So that part was, like, strangely reminiscent. And also, I guess, just in terms of perceptions and sort of navigating the community as someone who's quite hypersexualized because of the demographic that you're in. So I found, like, those parts were quite reminiscent. And I feel like, even though there's been, like, a lot of improvements, I think that's still kind of an issue within the community and within like our wider society. So I think that aspect feels quite current. Mm, mm. So, you know, Roy has used his platform and his life to really shine a light on black queer lives and, and difference and his space in the community. Do you think that your conversation with Roy has impacted your work or the way that you view your work or what you might do going forward? Yeah, I think he, he had a lot of wisdom, <laughs> especially when it comes to sort of kind of navigating sort of backlash because his perspective was very much instead of try not to be mad at like the individual instead be more reflective of where it comes from and that sort of divide and conquer thing that we have well we've always had but we definitely have it now because I was talking about like how sometimes I get issues from within the community and like a good chunk of like the hate I get also comes from within the queer community and some of it comes from women and some of it comes from lesbians and some of it comes from like people you wouldn't expect it to be from. But I, it kind of encouraged me to kind of think of the wider thing and like how there are people that would want it to be like that. So we kind of have to try not to like take it to heart too much. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like quite a positive experience and you took some interesting stuff away from it. Did you find any of the conversation challenging at all? Because, you know, there is a difference in age and experience as well. I mean, it wasn't really challenging. I think it was more just there are some things that are just 
different aspects of our experience. Like when we were talking about hypersexualization and hate and stuff, Roy kind of interpreted it as being men doing it to other men, whereas which was probably was his experience, especially like back then. But whereas now I think it's sort of changed in the sense women are also doing it and it's I don't know, the fractures within the community have like evolved in a weird way. Because in terms of the sort of hierarchy within the community, like kind of gays and lesbians like at the top and then anyone else, whoever you're bi or trans or in my case asexual or anything else that kind of isn't part of the original movement or like mm. the original cause or is seen as not have been oppressed in the same way, you're kind of more of a question mark as to whether you can even talk about it or be included or be part of any of the conversations or be in the spaces and so... That's been, like, quite a big part of my experience, and I know that that is why a chunk, a fair chunk of the hate I get comes from within the community is because of that. And I think so that was kind of, like, one difference in ours because that's not the kind of thing that you probably get as much as a gay man. I mean, that's fascinating to me, and, I, I mean, it's so interesting to hear that. I mean, we are on this journey, right? And I think one of the wonderful things about this intergenerational conversation is as much as... Roy and myself and the other people that we're talking to can learn, younger people can learn from us. We're certainly learning so much from you. And as gay man myself, I've absolutely realised that we kind of do put ourselves and have been put at the top of that hierarchy. But I'm really pleased that by continuing to have these conversations, we are learning and changing that. So Yasmin... You know, in your conversation with Roy, the notion of be of hypersexualization and fetishization came up quite a bit. How do you negotiate and navigate that as a black woman who is asexual, who has a queer identity, that's occupying this space? How is it different to Roy and how are you dealing with that now? Yeah, I mean, it's a kind of uh, a tricky one to navigate, I think. One thing when I was talking to Roy, it's like there isn't really like a an easy way to do it because so much of it is kind of like beyond your control. Like you can't really control how people perceive you because it doesn't really change like regardless of like what I'm doing or what I'm wearing or what I'm talking about. Like people are still going to sexualize. Like if it's not my outfit, then it'll be like some aspect of my face or something (laughs) like some feature that I have, which I'll perceive as being inherently provocative. And there isn't really a blueprint for it in terms of like being able to look and see what people doing the same kind of work have done before me um, because no one's really done it within all the intersections that I have but I think for me like the only thing I I can kind of do that I think makes it a bit constructive is to kind of like make an example of it and kind of use it as a sort of like educational opportunity to talk about the effects of being in those intersections and how hypersexualization happens because like you hear the word a lot but it even wasn't until I started kind of experiencing that I was able to be like okay this is sexualization like this is within my control and this is kind of when it like stops being within my control and this is when it starts getting weird So I feel like I can kind of use it as an example of that. And I think the other thing I want to ask then is that when Roy was developing and coming up in his career, a lot of that would have been reliant on print media, would have been hopefully film and television. Now we live in an age of Instagram and social media where one can take real control of that. How do you use digital and social media for your own kind of, uh, your own brand, your own persona, your own performance. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is 
it, it can be a blessing and a curse in that sense. It's, I think it is great that people can now kind of take control and like you don't have to rely on someone else's platform to be able to show yourself with being selected. You can just kind of do it by yourself and you can kind of choose what message you put out there without having to get anyone else's permission. So I think like that's been very central to my work because I haven't had to like wait for someone to want to talk about asexuality, for example, because I'd be waiting for a really long time. <laughs> I just say it enough myself, then it's kind of like the other way around where they're like, oh, it's being talked about, so now maybe we should talk about it. So I've kind of been able to use that to kind of steer the conversation and control that part of the narrative. But I also think that one thing is that, as I imagine with Roy, is that when it's in print and it goes out there, you don't necessarily know what someone looking at that newspaper or something is thinking, whereas when it's online, they'll make sure you know what they're thinking about it. And you'll hear everyone's opinion of anyone who stumbled across it. Whereas if it had just kind of gone off into like the universe and like a newspaper, you might not know all of the feedback. So I think that's a one difference, which is great because everyone can like share, but then also it's kind of might have ever not known that, but what can you do? <laughs> Well, Yasmin, thanks for talking to me today and for spending that time with Roy. I hope that you really got a lot out of that and the journey was incredible. It was, and it's been really great to meet you and thank you for all of the work that you've done in like documenting these experiences, which without that, I would never have seen it. And yeah, you are now the second black British gay person that I've met who's over the age of 35. Look so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I've been your host, Mark Thompson. The reporter in this episode was Yasmin Benoit. You can find the picture we've discussed in today's episode and all the images talked about throughout this podcast on Instagram at Black and Gay Back in the Day. And drop us a message if you have something you want to submit to the archive. A link will be available in the show notes. Coming up next week on Black and Gay Back in the Day, you're living proof that you can find this or it finds you but yeah that's the true gift right at the end of it and for the lucky ones it finds us more than once <laughs> Black and Gay Back in the Day is an Art Nail production based on the archive created by myself and Jason Okendaya the producers are Siobhan Dave and Tash Walker the assistant producer is Abby McIntosh Mixing was by Adam Smith. The music is composed and performed by Amaroon. The executive producers were Mark Thompson and the Aunt Nell team. Artwork was by Kemi Oleyade. Thanks to Content is Queen, The Glass House, The Audio Content Fund, Gadio, Bishopsgate Institute, and all of our contributors. A special thank you to all of those past and present who have fought for black queer liberation. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 